trips. I went on my first mission trip when I was 17 years old, and this was in 2009. And I say that I was 17 years old because what I was about, what I'm about to tell you. So we went to this trip in Ethiopia, and the pastor there, the local pastor there, he's been hosting groups from America that have been coming for years and years. And he told us that our group was the most immature group that he's ever hosted. We had some immature people on the group, including myself. And so here's one of the things that we did. We drove out into a local uh, area in Ethiopia called Owasa. And it's a beautiful area. One of the things that our host, the pastor there, told us was you do not want to eat the local food. Just buy like burgers and fries, chicken fingers, stuff that they just reheat. Do not buy the stuff that they're making locally because our bodies aren't used to it. The food was delicious, but there's something our bodies are not used to it. And so me being the 17-year-old and kind of rebellious, decided to order the food that was made by the locals there. And my brother-in-law now, who was my friend at the time, he went, in, he went in with me and we both ordered the same thing. I didn't listen to the warning of this pastor and I had the worst food poisoning in my life. And I kid you not, I literally thought I was dying at some point. It was that bad. You guys didn't laugh like the first service did when I said that. It was painful. It was bad. But I did not listen to the warnings of this local pastor who knew what was coming for me. And here's the thing. Jesus in this parable that we're about to look at tells us a warning. And I wonder as we go through this passage if all of us are heeding the warning that he gives. The parable is called the parable of the barren fig. comes out of Luke chapter 13, verse 6 to 9. This parable is only found in the gospel of Luke. So Luke chapter 13, verse 6 is where we'll start. says this, Then he told this parable, A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and went to look for fruit on it but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and have not found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is our word for this morning. It's a parable for this morning. As I shared before, parables are stories that Jesus shared with hidden meanings about his kingdom and his expectations for you and I who want to follow him. And this parable begins with a familiar tree. If you've ever read the Bible at some point, you might have run into the fig tree being mentioned. The fig tree is mentioned in the Old Testament to talk about the people of God and the pruning that happens through the fig tree. It's used several times in the Bible, especially in Jesus' parables and in his stories. And fig trees were used in Scripture because they would have been familiar to the people of the time. Fig trees were a normal part of the landscape of the Middle East where Jesus finds himself. It would be like us finding an oak tree or a cedar tree here in San Antonio. And fig trees would start bearing figs right about this time, early summer all the way through late fall. And in this parable, this tree that's planted in the vineyard bears no fruit. The ultimate purpose, though, of a fig tree is to be a fruit producer. It's why you would plant one. The owner goes and seeks for fruit from this tree, but he finds none. But if it's a fig tree, the question we might ask ourselves is, isn't it just supposed to produce figs? It's not a dead tree. It's there. It's alive. The vineyard owner is checking in on it. So you would expect that a fig tree would just produce fruit. But here's what you, know, what you need to know about a fig tree. I'm an expert on fig trees now after this parable and doing some research. But a fig tree, here's what I come to find, can look like a fig tree, feel like a fig tree, yet not produce any figs not produce any fruit. In fact, there are some fig trees that will never produce fruit in its entire 
life. A fig tree that was not producing fruit would be a tree that was not living up to its purpose, was not living up to its contribution to the world and living up to its responsibility to the one who planted it. And Jesus uses the barren fig tree in this parable first and foremost just to simply show us that just as a fig tree is supposed to produce figs, you and I as followers of Christ are supposed to be fruitful in this world. You guys may know of the world-famous wax museum, Madame Toussaint's. And if anyone ever been to the wax museums, one person, two, okay, a few guessmen. You guys got shy for a second. This, in these wax museums, they have these real-life figures, wax figures of celebrities and athletes and politicians. And people will go and take pictures of them. It's a chance for you to be next to your favorite celebrity because it looks just like them. And sometimes these celebrities will pose in these wax museums and then jump out and scare people. And that's how realistic they are. So a few years ago in San Francisco at the local wax museum, they released the Stephen Curry wax figure. If you know me, you know that Stephen Curry is one of my favorite basketball players. And so imagine I went to this wax museum and I went to the figure of Steph Curry and I stood next to him and we're about the same height and we're standing there in the, just kidding, we're standing there in the wax museum and I post pictures online of me hugging Steph Curry. Maybe I fool some people and they think that, oh, you actually got to meet Steph Curry. But here's what I would know, that the wax figure of Steph Curry could not do what the real Steph Curry does. Shoot jumpers that are 30 plus, from 30 feet plus, cross people over, win multiple championships. Why? The wax figure is just a wax figure. It's a counterfeit. It's a mold of the real thing. Here's what I'm trying to say. Some of us at times can be great molds of who we're really supposed to be. We look the part, dress the part, but when you look for what it's supposed to do, produce fruit, there's none to be found. We as children of God, people of God, we need to know that we're not measured on outward appearance, checking off boxes, reading the latest Christian book, listening to the latest Christian box cast, uh, podcast, being in the church, or even leading a church. The greatest measurement of you and I being the people of God is whether or not our character reflects the character of Jesus. That's what it means to be fruitful to produce and reflect the character of Christ. I grew up around people that could speak in tongues all day and pray all night, but they did not know how to love their neighbor. Or people that could memorize scripture from the top to the beginning, to the end, but they did not know how to have conversations with another person just because they voted for someone else. If it looks like a tree but has no fruit, it has failed to live up to its purpose. But what is a fruit and how do we define it? Here's what fruit is in our lives. Fruit is behavior and character that is contrary to our flesh and reflects the character of Jesus. And how do we produce it? We simply produce it through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God at work in our lives. It's why Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 5. He writes this whole section about what it means to live spirit-led lives. And he says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. The spirit-led life and the flesh-driven life are in opposition to one another. You can't do both. They're in conflict with one another. And Paul writes this about what you reap when you act on the flesh. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I love that Paul writes, the acts of the flesh are obvious. We're all familiar with it. It's normal. It's what we're wired to do at times. It's found all around us. But to bear fruit is to show behavior that is contrary to the flesh, not because of our willpower or our own abilities or because we're white-knuckling it through life, but because of the indwelling of God's spirit inside of us. That's how we produce fruit. And there are going to be days in your life when you and I want to act on the desires of the flesh and our motives and our thoughts and our action to be led astray by the flesh. The solution is not to try and overcome it, overpower it on your own, but to simply pray, come Holy Spirit, fill me, lead me today. It's a prayer I find myself praying more and more every single day. God, I know there's going to be some things that come up that are going to pull me away from you. But Holy Spirit, would you help me today? It's a simple prayer. And Paul says, the fruits of the Spirit, if you rely on the Spirit, are this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is what it means to be fruitful in this world. Our character that goes against the flesh, but as a result of a spirit-led life. So to, to produce fruit is our purpose. And to produce fruit, we rely on God's spirit in our lives. And you might think this is obvious. But this is Christianity 101. You should be teaching this in the children's church over there. But here's the thing. We all know this to be true. But if you ask people and look at research and studies on why people leave the church or why our neighbors are no longer interested in following Jesus, it has nothing to do with Jesus. It has also do, all to do with the behavior of his followers. So why is it that we are, well, we have uh, good intentions in following Jesus and doing what he's called us to do, but we find it difficult to produce fruit that is contrary to the flesh that's inside of us? And to learn more about why we have a hard time producing the fruits of the Spirit at times in our lives, we can learn a lot from the fig tree. One of the main reasons that I found that a fig tree would not produce fruit is the unhealthy soil that surrounds it. The soil would have lacked proper air and nutrients. It could even be infected with what's commonly known as the fig mosaic virus, a virus that sucks the life out of the fig and causes its leaves to change color and form. It's why in this parable the farmer says, let's give this fig tree some more time. Look what he says, verse 8. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. Everybody say fertilize it. Just making sure you guys are awake. Here's what we find. What the tree surrounds itself with and gleans from will ultimately decide whether or not it produces fruit. And there are all types of fertilizers out there. There are fertilizer and manure that can help the tree, the tree to thrive and flourish and fertilizer that can be contaminated and could suck the life out of it and destroy the tree. The formation of the tree is dependent on what it surrounds itself with. And this is true for you and I. Whether you realize it or not, you and I are being formed by what we surround ourselves with. 
This is on the outside as well as on the inside. This is on the physical as well as the spiritual. In our physical selves, you're being formed. Your bodies are being formed based on what you eat, how much you exercise, how much you sleep. Some of us are more intentional in some of those areas. Others of us are, more, are not as intentional, and we reap the rewards of our intentionality when it comes to what we put into our bodies and how we treat our bodies. It's the same for our inner being, our spiritual man, our spiritual life. Our thoughts, our desires, our dreams, our will, our character are all being shaped by what we look at, what we listen to, what we think, and what we do. And for better or worse, you are being formed on the inside just as you are on the outside. A tree that is unable to produce fruit ultimately, though, is being deprived of what it needs to survive. It's empty. It's feeling stale. It cannot do what it has been destined to do. It cannot fulfill in purpose, its purpose in life. And maybe this morning you're here, you're feeling a little tired, a little empty, no purpose, maybe deprived, no excitement to get up the next day. Feel burnt out by your jobs or by the people in your life or by your coworkers. You feel stale spiritually. Church once a week, once a week is not doing it for you. I wonder what you are surrounding yourself with. I wonder what it is that you're gleaning from. Are you surrounding yourself with friends that are helping you live out what it means to God to live out in God's purpose for your life to produce fruit, to live spirit-led lives, or are they taking you from those things? Are you giving yourself to media and endless scrolling and clicking and purchasing that's forming you in the character of Christ or is it doing the opposite, leaving you empty, dry, wanting more and more until you feel burnt out? The formation of this tree was dependent on what surrounded it. So the vineyard worker does some digging. He digs around it, pulls out some of the weeds and rocks and unhealthy soil and puts in fertilizer. What would it look like for you to do that in your life? The the beauty of following Jesus is that for us to produce fruit, it does not have to be difficult work. This is not legalistic religious work that Jesus is showing us in this parable. It has nothing to do with your ability to produce fruit, but all to do with your willingness to allow God's spirit to work in your lives. That's why Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is not a religious forced work. It's a daily reliance where we shift our attention to him daily, our thoughts, the good, bad, and the ugly. We process through the life of the spirit. It's what we call an unceasing spirit-led life. Every part of us is processed through the spirit that indwells us. We're not being led by the flesh to the left and to the right. We simply rely on the easy yoke of Jesus. And the beautiful thing about Jesus and the character of God is the patience of God. We talked about this a few weeks ago with the parable of the persistent widow, but Jesus also shows us some of these themes here. Let's read this again, verse six to nine. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found it. For three years. So year after year he's been expecting this fig tree to produce and he's patient with it, waiting and waiting and waiting. What Jesus is communicating through this parable is the patience of the vineyard owner. And then he says, why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Another year is added to give the fertilizer time to seep into the tree's roots. 
There's no rush from the vineyard owner, but there is a patient expectation from him that this tree is supposed to do what it's supposed to do. This tree is supposed to fulfill its purpose, which is producing figs. This is the same way that God treats us. There is this patient expectation. And every tree is different. This one needed fertilizer. There are others that might need more sunlight. Others that might need to be treated for the fig virus. The farmer's interest is in making sure the needs of the tree are met so it can produce fruit. God knows exactly what you need to fulfill his purpose over your life. I love the story and analogy by John Ottberg. Here's what he says. Imagine a doctor's office where every patient is told, take two aspirins and call me in the morning. If I have a headache, that's great advice. But if my appendix has just burst, then I will be dead before the morning. Imagine you go to a store that only sells one kind of shirt, one size, one color, one style, one fabric, and they do the same thing for their pants. We don't find those stores. There's no one-size-fits-all stores because God made people in different sizes. Imagine a parent who thinks, no matter how many kids I have, I will treat them exactly the same way. Each kid will be a blank slate for me to write on, pliable clay for me to mold. They will all be motivated by the same rewards, impacted by punishment the same way, and attracted by the same activities. If you're a parent, you know that's not true. Having children, you quickly become aware that every human being and every child is different. If we really want to help someone grow, we will have to help them in a way that fits their wiring. Our great model for this is God himself, for he always knows just what every person needs. He had Abraham take a walk, Elijah take a nap, Joshua take a lap, and he had Adam take the rap. He gave Moses a 40-year timeout. He gave David a harp and a dance, and he gave Paul a pen and a scroll. He wrestled with Jacob, argued with Job, whispered to Elijah, warned Cain, and comforted Hagar. He gave Aaron an altar, Miriam a song, Gideon a fleece, Peter a name, Elisha a mantle. Jesus was stern with the rich young ruler, tender with the woman caught in adultery, patient with the disciples, blistering with the scribes, gentle with the children, and gracious with the thief on the cross. God never grows two people the same way. God is a handcrafter, not a mass producer. God knows what you need and will be patient to walk with you as he waits for the fruit to be produced in you. It's God's patience that's so beautiful. And this vineyard owner gives us three years over and over and over. And then another. But Jesus leaves the parable kind of on a cliffhanger. We don't know what happens with the tree. Does it get cut down? Does it produce fruit? And what does it mean to be cut down spiritually? In this parable, Jesus is showing that God is not only merciful, not only gracious. He's merciful and gracious and also just in what he does. And so to understand kind of the solemn ending of this parable of maybe this tree got cut down and uprooted and someone else was planted in its place, we got to understand why Jesus even shares this parable to begin with. Worship team, you guys can come on up as I get ready to wrap up. Jesus sets up this parable as he's interacting with some of the people that are around him. Here's what he says, Luke chapter 13, verse 1 is where we'll start. 
Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Then he told this parable about the fig tree. You may be reading that and going, what is Jesus talking about? Jesus was responding to two current events that his audience were talking about. It was in the news at that time. And what happened was Pilate had killed some of the Galileans for specific reasons. And they're talking about it, and Jesus says, do you think that they died because they were sinners? No. But unless you repent, you too will perish. And then he says, there was this tragedy that they were talking about that happened where a tower fell and 18 people died. And he says, unless you repent, you too will perish. It's like if Jesus was with us this morning, he'd be talking to us about the latest current event, what we've been all glued to on the news in the last month. We've been glued to the news about the Ocean Gate submarine. Right, the submarine goes underwater. It's supposed to come back up in eight hours. It loses signal. And everyone, the world is watching day after day, and they're talking about how much oxygen the tank has left. And everyone is hoping that this submarine comes back up, and they're waiting and waiting and waiting, and we're just glued to the news, and we all know what happens. The sub had imploded way before that, and people had died. Five millionaires paid $250,000 per trip. And as I started reading some of the articles and was on social media and even some of the text threads that I was in, the overwhelming theme was a lot of people mocking these men that went down there, kind of poking fun at them. Why would you go down to the Titanic when you can just look at it on Google? Why would you pay all this money you can help feed the poor? Why would you go on a submarine that was not tested and approved for safety features? Why would you leave your family and go down there? I mean, they have money, but they don't have brains. And people were just piling it on all these guys. It would be like Jesus is in our midst going, you're talking about these guys that perished at sea. Do you think you're better off than them? Unless you repent, you too will perish. Do you think that you're going to live forever? Unless you repent, you too will perish. And then Jesus tells them, the parable of the fig tree. There's a vineyard owner that had this tree, and he goes year after year after year, patiently waiting to see if it would produce fruit. It watered it, did all the things that it needs to, and it's just not doing what it's supposed to, and considers cutting it down, but then gives it another year, helps it along the way, digs around it, fertilizes it. Says if it doesn't, it will be cut down. Jesus is simply saying, unless you repent, you too will perish. What does repenting and producing fruit have to do with one another? Repentance is fruit-producing work. And repentance is us simply turning our attention from the things that pull us from Jesus right back to him. I do this on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times a day. When things pull me to the left or to the right, I simply go back to Jesus. Simply go back. Simply shift our attention back to him. That's what repentance is. It's a 180-degree turn from the thing that we're facing that has pulled us away from God and turning back to Him. 
Jesus is saying, repent, turn, or you'll be caught up in situations beyond your control. Repentance is fruit-producing work. It's inevitable that if you repent, you would produce work. If you shift your attention to Jesus, you will begin to produce fruit because what repentance is showing is that, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't trust my flesh. I can't trust the things around me that are pulling me to the left and to the right, and I'm coming back to you over and over again. It's the beginning of fruit-producing work in our lives. And repentance should not be rooted in sorrow or dismay or fear. Repentance should be a joyful act. And here's why. Every time I get pulled this way and I come back to Jesus and turn back to him, what I remind myself is that my turning away or my coming to him does not define who I am. What I am defined by It's what Jesus has done on the cross and the finished work of Jesus on the cross that gives me new life, new identity, new purpose, new spirit-led power. That's why Paul writes, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. I remind myself there is nothing that I did to earn that, but it is a free gift from God that has been given to me. All I have to do is shift back. Say, here I am, Jesus. Shift back to him. That's what this journey is about. It's not striving, it's not producing religious work, it's not performing for God, it's simply relying on it over and over and over. Turning to a father who's always good and patient and kind and warning us that if we fail to come back to him, there are consequences up ahead. We all know John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's like my son, sometimes we open the door. He runs out the door, runs onto the street, and I have to warn him to stop. Why would, not, why would that not be seen as the goodness of a father that wants to prevent his child from entering into an accident? It's what God does with us. Just turn back to me. Turn back to me. It's only through me that you will find life forever beyond your short few years on earth. Just turn back to me. And here's what the psalmist writes. Here's how he describes the one who lives a spirit-led life, the one who has fruit produced in and through their life. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in a company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this law day and night That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That's the picture of this tree ultimately producing fruit. Whatever they do prospers. Its leaves will not wither. There's no virus, there's no storm, there's nothing that can keep it from thriving because it's planted by streams of living water. That's what it means for you and I to live this life dependent on God's spirit who produces in us what we're meant to produce and that's character that reflects Jesus and is contrary to our flesh, amen? I wanna invite you to stand as I pray over you this morning. I want to invite our prayer partners to come on up. They'll be up by the cross on this side and by the everything will be okay sign on this side.
And if you need prayer, I'd encourage you to come and just talk to someone. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never tried to rely on Jesus. You've never tried the easy yoke. Maybe you've tried the religious thing. Maybe you've tried other religions. Maybe you're trying out church for the first time. Maybe the step for you, where you're being led this morning by the Spirit, is to take that first step of following. And as I pray over you, if that's you, would you just say in your hearts, come Holy Spirit, fill me. Help me to live a life, not on my own, but through your Spirit that's at work in my life. For others of you, it might be to not just look like a tree. On the outside, everything checks off the boxes. Got their hands raised in worship, got all the memory verses, uh, memory verses memorized, the latest books. But throughout the week, there's no fruit. In fact, it's the opposite. And maybe for you, it's to stop acting like a Christian, to simply rely on the Spirit which calls us to repent. Acknowledge that we can't do it on our own. We can't strive. We can't white-knuckle it. We can't make it on our own. We simply rely on Him. Maybe that's you this morning. For the rest of us, it's simply reminding ourselves as we go from here, turn back, repent, turn back, repent. And when you do that, you will find a God who is patient and kind, waiting, walking with you. Not because you earned it, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross on your behalf. And you have been purchased with a price that you could not pay. You are now a child of the most high God. And he simply welcomes you with open arms. And maybe that's the next step for you. Wherever it is that you're at, would you pray with me as I pray over you this morning? God, we thank you that you teach us, you guide us through these stories. You show us what it means to be part of your kingdom. You show us what it means to be a follower. May we not just be trees that look like trees but produce no fruit. May we be those that surround ourselves and are planted in the right soil spiritually. I pray over those that just feel spiritually stale or dead, just don't feel like anything's happening in their lives. Pray over their lives, Lord. I pray against the attacks of the enemy over their lives. May they remove themselves. May they dig out the parts of their lives that are causing them to feel stay and deprived and unfruitful. May they plant themselves and rely on your spirit daily. May we be as a church that's not known by a brand or by a pastor or a personality, but are known for the fruits that we produce in our character, in the places that we live, the schools that we go to, the places that we work, in our neighborhoods. May we be a reflection of you wherever it is that you place us. It's in your precious name we pray. And the church says,